And this morning, uh, we're going to conclude that series um, with uh, a figure who is not a king, um, but nonetheless is super important. I want to invite you to, uh, to check your table of contents and find the book of Haggai. Um, it's toward the end of, your, of the Old Testament, so if you go to Matthew and you roll backwards uh, a couple of books, you will encounter it. Um, but uh, but uh, it's Haggai, and we're going to be in chapter 2. Now, Haggai was a, um, a prophet. Um, he was a prophet of, of Judah after they had been exiled to Babylon, and they had been returned. And uh, there, there's actually a couple times that they, they come back. The first wave of people that comes back, come back in about um, five 532 um, BC or so, or I'm sorry, six, uh, yeah, 532 BC or so, 536, 532, um, and they they come back and they just kind of settle, and then in five um, uh, in 522, um, uh, the actual there's actually a decree to rebuild the temple, and so they they send a group back and they rebuild the temple, um, and Zerubbabel or uh, uh, Haggai. And the next book, uh, Zechariah, um, they are they are prophets ministering to the people of Judah who have returned from Babylon, who are who started building the temple and then just kind of stopped. And they're telling them to get started. Well, at the time, the governor of what was called the province of Yehud. Um, or Judah, this is um, when we can actually start talking about uh, people being Jews. Um, the governor of them was a, a man by the name of Zerubbabel. Now, how would you like to have a name like that? Uh, two B's in the middle, both pronounced separately. Uh, Zerah is Hebrew for seed um, or children, and Babel is Babylon. All right? So Zerubbabel's name indicates that he was probably born in captivity in Babylon. And I'm just going to read a, I'm going to reverse, and then we're going to, we're going to look a couple of different places. We're going to look at the book of uh, Jeremiah for a minute too. But um, Zerubbabel chapter, uh, Haggai chapter 2 and verse 20. Um, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth, to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and to overthrow the chariots and their riders. The horses and their riders shall go down, everyone by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. What a weird promise. I'm going to make you a ring. I'm going to put you on my finger. Um, What on earth is he talking about there? We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. Um, And uh, in order to understand it, we have to understand who Zerubbabel was. Uh, Zerubbabel uh, was the grandson of of the second to last king of of Judah, um, the guy that last week is called Yechaniah, Coniah, um, um, uh, Yechaniah, Yo- Yo- uh, he's got three names, don't worry about it. Um, anyway, he's got a bunch of different names. He only ruled for three months, 
And then he was taken captive by the king of Babylon. He was carried away to Babylon um, with all of his sons. And so we read that, and then he's replaced by a guy named um, Zedekiah, who rules for 11 years. And it's just kind of this throwaway moment, right? Okay, there's this guy that reigns for three months. It's not a big deal. And then they put another king in. Well, there's more to it than that. Um, believe it or not, the prophet Jeremiah actually talks about him. Um, and if you, if you turn over to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 22, you'll actually see another... A, a, a prophecy, a message about Jeconiah. Um, in, in Jeremiah chapter 22 and verse 24, and I'm going to read the whole thing so you can get the feeling of how God feels about this guy. So Coniah, that's Jeconiah, that's his name. Um, as I live, Jeremiah 22 verse 24, as I live declares the Lord. Though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, see the line? Were the signet ring on my right hand. Yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land to which they will long to return, there they shall not return. Is the man Coniah a despised and broken vessel? A pot, a vessel no one cares for? Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land they do not know? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. I'm not sure what he did, but it was pretty serious. So as we read that verse, as we read those verses in Jeremiah, the Lord speaking about Jeconiah, Coniah, whatever his name is, right? You get the feeling, right? Reading that verse, this is a curse. This man has done something so heinous that God is not just taking him, but his mom into captivity. How bad do you have to be that your mom goes to prison with you? All right? Um, and he takes him and his mother into captivity in Babylon, says you will die in captivity. Your sons, you will be counted as childless. No, none of your descendants will ever sit on the throne of David again. And yet, and yet, Jeconiah, has a son named Shealtiel. Shealtiel has a son named Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel becomes the governor of Judah, and Zerubbabel is eventually the ancestor of Jesus. You can read that in Matthew 1. So here's what I have to tell you today. I don't have a big sermon because we've got a business meeting. I figured I can only catch your attention for so long. All right. Some of us are on pain meds, 
Mark is Mark is just smiling from the oh yeah. <laughs> He's thinking about it now. Uh, but the, uh, um, Jeconiah is cursed. He's commanded he will be childless. He 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 will never have a descendant. And then God. I want you to get this. God changes his mind. In Haggai, he says to Zerubbabel, you will be my signet ring. In Jeremiah, he says to Jeconiah, if you were my signet ring, I would would rip you off of my finger and I would throw you into the trash. But then he says to Zerubbabel, you will be my signet ring. I'm going to shake up the world. Now this is kind of a little bit of, of what my dad would call sanctified imagination, right? Um, we don't know how Zerubbabel, um, how he grew up. I, I started to do the math and try to figure out um, who was alive when Zerubbabel was alive. Uh, the prophets Ezekiel, probably Jeremiah, although he would have been an old man. Uh, Haggai, Zechariah, they all would have been alive. Um, the uh, the one that really I started to really think about is the fact that Zerubbabel grows up in in exile in Babylon, in the Babylon, which means that Daniel, the guy that the book of Daniel is named after, not only would have been alive, but very likely would have been one of Zerubbabel's teachers. Something changes between Jeconiah and Zerubbabel that God does not fully act out his curse on Jeconiah's line. You say, what's the deal with that? Here's, I just want to give you something very, very simple. I have three things you might want to write down, and maybe you need this encouragement. Nothing complicated here. What God has created, he will always redeem. What God has created, he will always redeem. Now, he doesn't redeem it the way that we necessarily want him to redeem it. It doesn't mean that he restores things to the original state. That he makes everything perfect and, and all, everything conforms to what we desire it to be, what we hope that it would be. But what God creates, he, re, he redeems. So when God creates the world in Genesis chapter 1 and the world falls into sin in Genesis chapter 3, um, God then spends the rest of the Bible telling us he will redeem creation. And we get to the book of Revelation and he redeems creation. When God creates mankind and he says, I made you in the image of God, but then man falls into sin and man starts to do things that are not in conformity to God, um, then they even start to kill one another, the ultimate act of, of rebellion. When God describes how justice will be meted out to those who murder, he makes the basis of the justice the fact that man was created in the image of God. He says, because man was created in the image of God, it is blood for blood. 
If you kill, if you murder a man, um, you, you must, your life must be taken, your life is forfeited because man was created in the image of God. So even in our sinfulness, even in our brokenness, what is created, he will redeem. What God has created, he will redeem. God created and covenanted to form the house of David for the purpose of bringing the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to earth. And although the people of the house of David sinned and fell and caused exile and caused punishment and condemnation and were cursed, what God has created, he will redeem. Secondly, what God has promised, he will keep. What God has promised, he will keep. When Jesus said to us, the church, that I will be with you always, even to the end of the world, he promised it, he will keep it. And we say, well, it doesn't feel much like God is around. It doesn't feel much like Jesus is around. He promised it, he will keep it. And so that's why our faith is not based on our feelings, but his promises. What he promises he will keep. What God has created, he will redeem. What God has promised, he will keep. And this, I think, is so crucial for us. The third one. What God has cursed, he can forgive. What God has cursed, he can forgive. You say... You go through life and you say, is there something that I could do? I'm so worried about doing something in my life that God won't be able to forgive me. And I've talked about this before, but that is us projecting our own unwillingness to forgive on God. We need to be cautious about that. We need to look at ourselves and say, are we trying to cast God in our image or are we truly seeing ourselves in his image? Because true forgiveness comes from the very nature, the loving kindness. The Hebrew word is chesed, the deep, defining mercy and long-suffering of God. So when God curses, and I want you to understand this, when God curses, his purpose is to forgive. God is not maliciously walking around hoping for people to sin so he can send them to hell. My dad used to describe it, and this image sits in my head just because I was a kid in church and I was bored out of my mind, and whenever he said one of these weird illustrations, not that I've ever said anything weird from the pulpit, but um, he said, God is not Hulk Hogan with a baseball bat waiting to knock your block off every time you fail. Now, most of you in the room probably know who Hulk Hogan is. I have discovered that anyone under the age of 30 probably has no idea who he is. Um, He was a wrestler. He was one of the biggest celebrities of the 80s. I mean, it was literally one of the biggest, like physically biggest um, celebrities of the 80s. Um, He was a professional wrestler, but he was always, you know, a real, real malicious, uh, real shouty kind of person. And my God, my dad said, God is not sitting around waiting to punish you. He does. 
Uh, God is not God is not sitting in heaven waiting to put his thumb on you because you did something wrong. What God desires to do, even in the curse, is to forgive. I refer, I refer this to the principle um, as the heartbroken God. Now, most of us don't think about God being heartbroken. We don't even think about God as having emotions. If we think of God, it's either as like this ethereal idea or some old dude in a white beard um, sitting in, you know, basically Zeus, because that's where we get that image of God from. Our God is heartbroken over sin. He, he curses and he punishes and he condemns because he is righteous, not because he is malicious. And our God curses to give us the ability to repent and to restore what he created to be beautiful. We spend all of our lives, some of us, beating ourselves up over not being good enough for God, for others, for our parents, for our employers, for our kids. If only I could. If only I were better. God, why did you make me like this? Why, why, did, you, why did you curse me in this way? Uh, um, sin and the consequences of sin break the heart of a loving God who wishes to redeem and keep his promises and forgive. And the best advice I can give you to live as a Christian is to see yourself the way God sees you. To read the scriptures and say, am I living my life like I am under the curse? Like I am, I am condemned and there is no hope and there is no future? Or am I living my life, allowing my life to be defined by the for- forgiveness and redemption, covenant keeping of our God? Because when we change our, our perspective on these things. When we remember that our God not only cursed Jeconiah, but also forgave and redeemed and used Zerubbabel, we will respond, I believe, with true gratitude. And those of us who feel true gratitude to the God who forgives, we find ways, let's be honest, we find ways to not sin because we want to be grateful to the one who forgave us. You say, how do you not sin? Get to know God better. The more you are conformed to the image of Christ, the less you will be conformed to the image of the world. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. The more that we understand and identify with what God has done in Jesus to forgive us, to make us alive, to cleanse us, the less likely we are to walk in sin. I'm not saying you're not going to make mistakes. We all do. But we are not defined by the curse. We are defined by grace.
by forgiveness, by redemption, by love. Imagine if you were Zerubbabel growing up in Babylon. This is one of the reasons I think that Daniel was one of his teachers. And all he got to do was listen to his grandfather whine about being king for three months. You ever been around somebody that did something minor in their lives, like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite? This is a pop reference that's going to be lost on a lot of you. All right. Um, but basically, basically, they were the big high school football star, or they dated the cutest girl in school, or, or, or one brief moment they were really, really good fund managers and had millions of dollars. It's all gone now. But they define their entire life by that, right? That's, that's Zerubbabel's grandfather. You know, once... I was king of Judah. Yes, Grandpa, we know you were king of Judah. Three months, Nebuchadnezzar came and captured you. We know. We know. Right? Yes, I know. One day you were. Yeah, okay, okay. But now you're living here, right? I was friends with kings. and We know, we know. Yeah, you got an autograph from Nebuchadnezzar once. We got it. Yeah, you traded away your Mickey Mantle card. We know! But something happened in Zerubbabel's life, and I like to believe that it was because he was taught by Daniel. I like to believe that Daniel was influential enough in the court of Babylon that he pulled this young man aside and he said, I know where you've come from. I know the darkness that lingers over your family. I know the curses of Jeremiah. Daniel read the book of Jeremiah. He knew the book of Jeremiah. And Daniel says, I know the prophecy, but I know our God redeems what he creates. Our God keeps his promises. And you are the descendant of David. And God has not given up on Judah. Rise up. Do what God has called you to do. And be amazed to see God's forgiveness cancel out the power of the curse. And if there's one piece of encouragement I can give to you as a believer, it is rise up and live in the forgiveness of the God who promised and will keep his promises. It doesn't matter how hard it gets. I understand the world beats us down. I understand we need all the help we can get in some circumstances. I understand sometimes we just need the community to circle around. Sometimes we just we don't know whether we're going to be overcome and overwhelmed by the, the moments of the day. But I'm telling you right now, if you can just find hope in the God who forgives you will find the ability to forgive others, to forgive yourself, to forgive the world for the things it has done, and live in His grace. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, the one who condemns also forgives. We thank you for your grace. Father, for those still exploring and journeying and trying to decide whether they want to follow you or not, help us to be beacons of forgiveness and hope. Not judgment and negativity, but glory and love and hesed and truth. As your church, help us to manifest to the world a God who forgives a God who loves, a God who is just, 
A God of, of promises that he keeps. And it isn't always what we want it to be. Sometimes your justice is exile and, and condemnation and punishment. But always you are seeking to forgive. May we live in your forgiveness. May we trust in your forgiveness. May we find our place and our home with you. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, which has made us alive, made us sensitive to your word, called us to emulate your Son here on earth. We pray this believing.